0: If you enjoyed today's podcast, please be sure to share us and subscribe so you don't miss our next show. We'd love to talk with you again. Good evening, everyone. Sorry for the late drop of this week's show, but events move quickly in Washington and one dude says something and everything changes. Gotta change with it and rewrite a bunch of stuff. But I got her done. As always, no stretching, no warm up. Just jump right into banging out reps of heavy political news and listen to those plates clang. Donald Trump did that thing he does Saturday at a rally in South Carolina, spouting outlandish crap. He recounted a story where he claims he was confronted by an unidentified NATO member while president about a threat to not defend NATO member countries who didn't meet their spending targets. In this supposed exchange, Trump claims he said, You didn't pay? You're delinquent? No, I would not protect you. In fact, I would encourage them to do whatever the hell they want. You gotta pay. You gotta pay your bills. Them would be Russia. As Russia knocks on NATO's door with its invasion of Ukraine, rhetoric like this is not good. Putin doesn't need encouragement from you, Trump. Now, for a man who frequently brags about screwing people over and whose business properties have accrued more than 60 lawsuits, 24 Fair Labor Standards Act violations, and around 200 liens for unpaid contractor work, to hear him assert he took someone else to task for not paying their bills is surreal. He didn't, though. The orange man is about as well-hinged as an aluminum screen door in a hurricane, and it's well-known he just makes shit up all the time. When asked about Trump's latest insane rant, his former national security advisor and mustache influencer, John, I Can Still Taste My Breakfast Bolton, said, I never heard him say anything like that, and the way the conversation goes doesn't sound real. Bolton continued, But number two, the fact that it's an imaginary conversation that makes Trump look very good as all of Trump's imaginary conversations do, doesn't mean that he doesn't believe what he's saying. Bolton offered a word of warning. Look, I was there when he almost withdrew, and he's not negotiating. His goal here is not to strengthen NATO. It's to lay the groundwork to get out. NATO nations agreed in 2014, after Russia's first holiday in Ukraine, where they seized the Crimean Peninsula, to reach a target of 2% of their respective GDPs on defense by 2024. NATO self-reported in 2022 that only seven of the 31 member states were meeting their obligation to the Mutual Defense Organization. That is an improvement over 2014's three, but still far short of acceptable. The United States, Greece, the United Kingdom, Poland, Lithuania, Estonia, and Latvia are all putting in over 2% of GDP, while the rest are slacking off between Croatia's 1.91% and Luxembourg's 0.62%. That there are issues is correct. That Trump means what he says is certain. That such statements and possible follow-through on Trump's demonstrated desire to pull out of NATO would be catastrophic for the region is guaranteed. Donald Trump did much to damage the confidence our allies have in the United States during his last term. Joe Biden has done nothing to improve that standing in the world. The slapdash exit from Afghanistan... Watching people who risk their lives to help us in that country drop to their deaths after clinging to fleeing American aircraft is a disturbing optic. What their people are suffering through now under a re-energized Taliban is enraging. Yes, the withdrawal date was set by Trump, but the execution was done by Biden. It was a truly bipartisan shitshow. With Iran ensuring the Middle East stays an unstable neighborhood, with China preparing for war in the Indo-Pacific, and with Russia actively engaged in a war in Central Europe The last thing the world needs is a flaky, unreliable United States. Elect Biden, you get passive unreliable. Elect Trump, you get very active unreliable. Neither is good for the world or our country. Joe Manchin, the 2024 presidential race's man of mystery, announced today that he will not run for president. I find this particularly frustrating as I had to scrap a large section of today's script that I had worked hard on because of his announcement. But unlike our elected leaders, I put the people first, and all that material is now obsolete, so it's out of here. The outgoing senator is not running for re election to his seat, and he had been playing coy with the American people for months regarding his intentions during this election cycle. Manchin has already stood up a nonprofit, Americans Together, and started what he has called a listening tour. He was on the ground in New Hampshire during the primaries, you know, just listening. When pressed by attendees at his events, he was noncommittal, sheepishly suggesting he can't stop people from writing his name on the ballots. He had stepped up his comments, though, saying at an event yesterday, hypothetically, if I was picking my running mate, really, who I would ask right now is Mitt Romney. That sort of talk certainly suggested he was in play, and as I try to salvage the story, I'm quite surprised he's backing out. Maybe he heard some things on his listening tour that told him it wasn't going to work. Manchin had previously indicated he would not make any definitive announcement until after Super Tuesday on March 5th. Super Tuesday is so-called because on that day, 16 states and American Samoa go to the polls. Iowa will only be voting for Democrats that day. Iowa's Democratic primary was pushed back so South Carolina could go before it. The Republicans have already run their primary in Iowa with Trump winning. Alaska will only be voting for Republicans that day. Remember, Alaska is one of the states using the Ranked Choice voting system I discussed last week. The Alaska State House Judiciary Committee voted last week to advance a bill to repeal Ranked Choice-style voting. The five Republicans on the committee wanted it repealed, and the two Democrats don't. It'll be interesting to see how Alaska plays out. Haley is not well-liked by this year's GOP primary voters, and Ranked Choice is also not liked by Alaska Republicans. Perhaps Haley might be able to pick up some delegates there. There are 874 Republican delegates and 1,420 Democratic ones up for grabs on Super Tuesday. That's why that Tuesday will be super. It is estimated it will take 1,215 delegates to secure the Republican nomination and Trump has 63 already. The estimate to win the Democratic nomination is 1,968 delegates with Joe Biden already banking 91. A strong performance on Super Tuesday by the presumptive candidates will likely tip the scales irrevocably in their favor. For this reason, many people will make important decisions the following Wednesday. Nikki Haley will have to decide if she still has a viable path to Republican nomination. Dean Phillips will need to do the same reality check on the Democratic side. It's clear the two party leaderships have already decided who they want and wish they could drop all pretense and go straight into the beginning of the general election, but we have to maintain at least the appearance that the decision is up to the voters. There's another organization also holding their cards close to the chest until Super Tuesday's results. No labels. The organization does not identify as a political party, and that designation has allowed it to skirt campaign disclosure rules for the time being but they are actively setting up infrastructure and pursuing ballot access for a potential candidate. They are the partiest-looking non-party I ever did see, and many are desperate to get the organization recategorized as a political party so no labels will no longer be able to hide the source of their funding. Also, luckily, the party that is not a party, while fiercely guarding their donor roles, has been very open about the candidates they had their eyes on. Joe Manchin had been at the top of the list, but we can cross his name out now. No labels has shown interest in other political candidates. Co-founder Joe Lieberman has said positive things about Nikki Haley, but has been purposefully distanced out of respect for her ongoing campaign for the Republican nomination. She's a bit too big businessy to be called a true moderate, but in the context of the current climate of severe polarity in American politics, she looks downright centrist. Haley has not reciprocated, though, and seems to be firmly against considering running on a third-party ticket, but who knows? Chris Christie, when asked last July about the party that is not a party and what they were doing, called it a fool's errand. That was six months ago. NBC News reported in January that No Labels had reached out to Christie's people, but there were no details whether that bore any fruit. That was a month ago. Now when asked if he would consider a run on a No Labels ticket, Christie said, Oh, I don't know. There'd be a long conversation between him and my wife Mary Pat. I can guarantee you that. Very different response. Perhaps Haley would similarly reconsider the opportunity. Unlike Manchin and Christie, Haley has actual numbers. In polls of hypothetical runs against Biden in a theoretical general election, she cleans his clock, while he stands hypnotized by the pretty ticking sound. As a failed GOP primary candidate, Christie, or Haley if she loses to Trump, and Phillips if he loses to Biden, would have to contend with what are called sore loser laws. Some states have rules for candidate eligibility which specify a person cannot run for the same office twice, which would be, essentially, what those people would be doing if they were on the primary ballot in a state with the rule lost and then ran again with a new party affiliation. There appears to be only two states where this is an undisputed fact, where the rules clearly state this Texas and South Dakota. These are all pure speculations, and we have a lot of states to go through before the 5th of March, starting with the Republican primary in South Carolina, and there's time for the wind to change direction. The race is heating up. With Manchin out of the conversation, who would be on the no-labels dream ticket? Mitt Romney, when questioned about Manchin's suggestion of him as a running mate, joked, I would be the president, he would be my running mate. He quickly shut the door on extrapolating from that that he might be entering the fray, saying, no, I'm not going to run for president. The no-label's Chris Christie ticket would be very interesting. Full transparency, in my opinion, so assign whatever credibility you feel I have in yours, Christie was the most credible candidate in the Republican primaries. He stood out as the only adult in the room with ideas for issues both foreign and domestic, and showed a willingness to call out Donald Trump's insanity and overtly chomped at the bit to take him on face-to-face. That is the sort of candidate required to contend with a bully like Donald Trump. Haley is an intelligent and a capable politician, and in any other election cycle would be doing much better than she is now. But that is the exact wrong tack to take with somebody like the Cheeto. We saw in 2016 how Trump's schoolyard bully technique and outside-the-box tactics completely disarmed career politicians in the GOP primaries and against Hillary Clinton in general. Jeb Bush was low energy, and when Trump called him out on that, it stuck and tore Bush's dreams down to shreds. Little Marco Rubio still has PTSD, and the former 2016 rival is today running interference for the same man who took his manhood eight years ago. Rubio said in a recent CNN interview regarding Trump's comments on NATO, he's not the first American president. In fact, virtually every American president at some point in some way has complained about other countries in NATO not doing enough. You know, Trump's just the first one to express it in these terms. Little Marco sounds like a vampire's familiar, hoping if he works hard enough, hauling bodies for Trump, the master will bite him and turn him into an orange vampire tool so he can stop eating bugs for sustenance. What's Christie saying about that? This week, when asked about it, he said, this is typical of what everybody on the Hill, just about everybody on the Hill is doing, which is, as Trump himself said in talking about Tom Emmer, they all bend the knee. And that's what Marco Rubio is doing. Chris looked forward to the end of Trump's influence, forecasting it'll either be over in November when Donald Trump loses the general election, or it'll be over in four years. He said, but one way or the other, it's going to be over. And all these things that people like Marco and Ted and Elise Stefanik and all these others are saying, they're going to have to own it. This is the guy you need on your ticket, no labels. Joe Biden did a decent job in the 2020 race, fending off Donald Trump's moves. Arguably the best anyone ever has, and it's to his credit. But it was far from a confident victory on the debate stages. Come on, man! Isn't gonna get the job done this cycle. You need a former New Jersey federal prosecutor with his knuckles taped up, ready to take Donald Trump's personal insults and fire back. Your spray tan is starting to run, Don. Bullies don't like a challenge, and Chris Christie is not to be taken lightly. Trump can't dodge him in a general election like he did in the primaries, and Christie would be the toughest opponent he's ever faced. Who to pair him with, though? Again, full transparency, I like Dean Phillips on the Democratic side. Now, he is not squeaky clean. I talked about some of his unusual and suspect financial moves on a past show, but for a politician? A guy who's been in Washington, D.C. for a few years? He's downright surgically clean in context. He seems genuine and realistic. His ideas are unsurprisingly liberal, but not hard-left, wacko progressive, more classical Democratic. Suffice to say, AOC would not put his Tiger Beat pictures up on her bedroom wall. If you got that reference, I'm sorry, but you're very old. Dean Phillips seems to care about people like we should care about people, and has knowingly blown up his own political career trying to do what he feels is right and sorely needed. I respect the hell out of that. Watching him get marginalized and dismissed by his own party for saying the quiet part out loud, as his campaign slogan goes, has been very depressing. Biden and the Democrats are doing him and their constituents dirty, but is anyone watching? Is anyone going to settle up with them in the general? Where Christie comes across as a tough-talking teamster boss, Phillips exudes encouraging and caring dad vibes. They would complement each other very well, and between the two, we would have a broad set of skills and qualities that could do much to repair and strengthen America in both foreign and domestic concerns. I'm not sure how a President Christie would share power, if at all, but these two, if they click, could be a good team. A strong leader with a capable and engaged right-hand man. One a former Republican, the other a former Democrat. Because it's clear they aren't welcome back in their respective parties. Working together, they could be a positive example that could begin to heal our divided country. If they do good things, there's a possible 16 years of stability for a very weary United States. Wouldn't that be nice for a change? It's insanely idealistic, I know. But at this point, after all we've been through in the past eight years, let me, let us dream, won't you? Think it over no labels. It's a good ticket. Just remember me if they win. We need an old gearhead as Secretary of Transportation, and if Jay Leno is unavailable, I humbly offer my services. The Senate, certainly a contentious and underperforming legislative operation, but damn near effective compared to their friends down the hall in Mike Johnson's House of Horrors, actually passed a piece of legislation recently. How about that, folks? A refreshingly significant 70 to 29 vote, the Senate passed the National Security Supplemental Appropriations Act of 2024, which sets aside $95 billion in aid to Ukraine, Israel, and Taiwan. The legislation doles out $48.43 billion to Ukraine to support its fight against the ongoing Russian invasion. It also provides $8 million for the Department of Defense Inspector General to conduct oversight of this assistance. Israel would receive $10.6 billion for defense, And they're also set asides to replenish weapons used in the Red Sea defensive operations. Taiwan will receive $1.9 billion for weapons procurement. While these are the headline items in the news, there are other expenditures in this legislation. Middle East partners will receive $85 million for counterterrorism operations. There is support to Indo-Pacific partners, like $3.3 billion to support dry dock construction in support of AUKUS, Announced in 2021, AUKUS is a trilateral partnership between the United States, the United Kingdom, and Australia to promote deeper informational and technology sharing and foster deeper integration of security and defense-related science, technology, industrial bases, and supply chains. One of the primary goals of the partnership is to get the Australians equipped with nuclear submarines. With China rattling its saber louder every day, strengthening strategic partners in the region is paramount, and this is one of those efforts. There is over twenty six billion targeted towards replenishing our weapon stockpile, depleted from providing them to Ukraine, Israel, and Taiwan for their defense. So not exactly for them. That's for our defense. The Department of Energy gets some money too. Huh? Yeah, but while ninety eight million goes to the development and production of isotopes, not sure what that's all about, and 2.72 billion is destined to support domestic uranium enrichment to bolster production of civil nuclear fuel and advanced nuclear fuel that's a mouthful 149 million is for dealing with nuclear security issues in ukraine remember chernobyl of course you don't you're not crazy old like me quick and to the point ukraine has nuclear reactors and the russians like shooting weapons near those nuclear reactors and using those facilities as operating bases Somebody messes up and the area will take on an eerie glow, and a ticking cloud will be on its way around the world. No, not TikTok, although the let's fight a war around a nuclear reactor challenge is at least as dumb as the ones on TikTok. No, the ticking is a Geiger counter. Your hair falling out and vomiting up blood tells you it's working. Donald Trump and his crew of lackeys in the Senate did their best to derail this legislation. Mike Johnson and his squad of Cheeto zombies have already made it clear they're not even going to consider it when it hits the Speaker's desk, citing a desire to tie it to border enforcement. I mean, why get anything done and break your streak, right, House Republican Caucus? You have Democrats checking themselves out of the hospital after surgery to come in and do their duty and vote, but y'all won't even risk bringing this to the floor. Cowards. Do-nothings. Losers. Right, Rona McDaniel? All of you might want to update your LinkedIn profiles in preparation for November's evaluation of your performance, or lack thereof. Kevin McCarthy is probably glad he got fired so his name won't be attached to this complete lack of productivity. Matt Getz is probably scrolling through George Santos's Cameo profile as we speak, but I digress. With the flood of illegal immigrants crossing the southern border every day, on the surface, that sounds like a viable concern. When you dig into the details, though, it turns out Trump doesn't really want a solution at the border, at least not under a Biden administration. He's essentially made it clear the border should stay as it is, an albatross around Joe Biden's neck so he can take back the White House and get the credit for solving it. His efforts, and subsequently the efforts of his glassy-eyed followers, are not righteous, not for the good of the country, but rather for the good of the one, the orange man, the Don Maga, so screw them. Despite their efforts, it passed. And it passed with the support of 22 Republican senators. Are we seeing some cracks in the wall? You know, the wall. The wall Trump is going to build and make Mexico pay for? No, not that one. But yeah, remember that? Whatever happened to that? No, the wall of sycophants and Kool-Aid-swilling cult members ready to live and die to serve the one, to spread the MAGA. Are some Republicans realizing that to negotiate with Donald Trump in a Chamberlainian manner... To cede more metaphorical land to him will not, in fact, lead to peace. It will only lead to destruction. Just a week or two ago, McConnell was publicly supportive of the effort to do Trump's bidding. Now he's leading a coalition of Republicans against the faith. Did Mitch McConnell recover from his latest control-alt-delete and realize he might be the last person who can stop this doomsday scenario for the GOP? Did he scratch his crotch recently and notice that he still had a set of testicles? He led the pack of Republicans who voted to do... Well, something, rather than nothing. This is interesting. Look, Mitch McConnell is not a hero. He's a dirty, corrupt politician in every manner. In any other story, he'd be the villain. He is incapable of doing something because it's noble or morally right, so toss any hope that that is driving his actions. We are not living in a fantasy world. This is the real world. A world where the last election pit Joe Biden against Donald Trump in a current primary season that looks to be delivering a repeat of the same terrible show. With that looming, anybody who can do anything to blunt that is worth considering. If, in fact, this is the beginning of Mitch pushing back against Donald, please, please do that. You're 81 years old, my dude. You've been in the United States Senate since 1980-frickin-five. That's almost four decades. You've earned your stripes. You wield massive clout in your caucus, arguably the second most powerful person in the party. With veteran senators and House members retiring left and right, no doubt after being threatened by the forces of the presumptive overlord of the GOP, it's quite clear that the battle this year is not just for the country as a whole, but for the survival of your party. They can't really pressure you. What can they take from you? You can be the standard bearer for a return to reason. Well, a return to classical corporate shill Republican dogma, but again, by contrast, not that bad. You can provide cover and coordination for a counterinsurgency in the party. It's war, Mitch. That's clear. Who can stand against Don Maga and his army if not you? Are you going to go gentle into that good night? Or are you going to stand on the floor of the Senate, like Gandalf on the bridge of Khazad-dûm, look the orange balrog in the eye and roar, today. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed the podcast, please take the time to leave a comment here and on Podchaser. It helps us know how we're doing and what topics you'd like to hear in the future. Have a great day.